Colorado Springs football has entered the stretch run. We're here to talk about their first 11 spring practices and look ahead to the spring game. My name is Adam Munster-Tiger. I'm the publisher of BuffStampede.com. As always, joined by senior writer Ryan Konigsberg and fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. This is our second show since William Whalen had his final uh, show as the host. He's Hopefully he's out in Northern California, all settled. We know he's probably enjoying some, some fine wine out there, <laughs> if you know Will. Say. But anyways, uh, first off, like I said, we're going to talk spring football. We've been meaning to get into that. We were going to spend some time last show, but we got really wrapped up into men's basketball talk. And so we're going to spend the first half an hour talking about CU football. And then uh, about halfway through, we're going to jump into CU men's basketball recruiting. That's another topic we've been meaning to get caught up with on the show. Ryan, you were out at a couple AAU events this past weekend, and uh, you're going to break down the top guys really to look at from the class of 2015 i know that's been a topic with the, the recent 150 coming out that, that a lot of people are curious about tyler uh, we're going to spend some time talking to you about guys basketball players in the pac-12 that are declaring for the draft earlier or might still declare early for the draft and we're going to kind of talk a little bit about which guys we feel are ready to go make that jump and which guys should come back and obviously spencer dinwiddie will be part of that topic and uh, so let's jump into spring football talk. Like I mentioned earlier, the 11 practices in, and instead of just generating the topics like we usually do on this show, I actually threw it out to the Stampede Elite message board on buffstampede.com because I wanted to find out what the fans were curious about. Fortunately, I've been able to interview basically every coach, uh, a ton of players, and so this is, a lot of this stuff is obviously co-signed by them. Um, you know, I, I think you can see things in spring ball and overanalyze them, and, and you talk to the coaches and sometimes get a more proper perspective. Uh, so I think we should uh, just jump into that, um, and I'm going to name off who asked the question and then try to delve into that. Tyler, Tyler you've been out to, is it two or three spring practices yeah, two, so far? two so far. I'm going to try to go to another one this week, hopefully, before the spring game. Okay, and you saw a scrimmage on Friday, so you have some input in, into this as well. Ryan, obviously you, you uh, keep a close eye on the program, so anything you want to chime in. Um, JDub925 on the Stampede Elite message board wanted to know which player has disappointed the most this spring. And I think with this question – the obvious answer is Samson Kafavalu and Justin Solis, the two defensive tackles that aren't participating due to academic reasons this year. Um, and, and you look at the, the second team defensive line, there's a huge drop-off with those two guys out there because instead of a, you know, a Judah Parker in that second group, he's working with the ones. So I think that's where you go most disappointing. To actually answer this question with a guy that's actually been out there, though, practicing this spring, uh, the guy I'm going to have to mention is Deshaun Rippey, former four-star linebacker recruit that came out and, and transferred from Pittsburgh last year. And we, you, you know, when when you ask the head coach a question about Deshaun Rippey and he talks about another linebacker, that's usually a sign. And it's not to say that Deshaun Rippey doesn't have a chance to be a, a player at Colorado, but if you're going to talk about a guy that really hasn't done much this spring, that would be the first guy I could think of, Tyler. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't get a lot of reps. I know we've been talking about that a couple times I've been in practice, and it's it's not even that he's out there and he's making mistakes or not impressive in any way. He's just not really out on the field, so it's hard to really gauge anything, you know, what you're getting out of him. Um, you know, you can't really learn much from drills. I mean, he looks like a good athlete in drills, but that doesn't really translate to the field more often than not. So it, it would be nice to see, if, you know, to, to get him some more reps and really see what you've got there. The positive side of that is Kenneth Olubode, who uh, McIntyre said is really freaking good, is, is what he, uh, the words he used to describe him. He's a little undersized, but 
Uh, he's a guy who I think with Addison Gillum, most of the time in the Pac-12, you're only going to play with two linebackers out there anyway. So if you're Colorado, you, you feel pretty good about your top two guys at the linebacking core. And then obviously Woodson Greer, who I think was one of their more improved players last year, comes back at the outside linebacker position. Uh, moving on, next question is from Sand Buff. How is Sefo Lufau doing? McIntyre says he has improved. Can we get some details on that? Yes, yeah, specifically in terms of Lufau and his improvement, it was basically a mechanical issue they wanted to improve on. And, and he had pretty good mechanics to begin with. But uh, with his footwork, he would lock out his front leg a little bit too much. And um, Brian Lindgren, the offensive coordinator, quarterback's coach, said that was affecting some of his longer throws. And, and that was one of the things last year, I think, when we were comparing Lufau to Connor Wood, was Connor Wood threw the, the deep ball much better. Now this spring, you've seen an improvement from Sefo Lufau throwing the deep ball. So that was a big thing for him to work on. It seems like he's got a little bit more zip on his passes. He's, he's healthy now, and you can see that. I think last year... <coughs> He showed a lot of grit, determination, getting knocked down and back up again time after time. Well, that takes a, a toll on your body. And I think towards the end of last season, he was just starting to wear down a little bit. And they really didn't run him much as the season went on. I think you've seen he's never going to be a dual threat quarterback. But in a couple of the scrimmages, you've seen him actually get a first down with his leg, which is improve, which is improvement from, I think, last year when his body was banged up a little bit. They have had three spring scrimmages so far. And Sefa Lufau's thrown eight touchdowns and no interceptions, so that's pretty encouraging. I think his completion percentage is a little lower than uh, you'd like, but by and large, I, I think Sefa Lufau has had a, a solid spring, and I don't think there's any reason to question that he's your, your number one guy still. Yeah, no, I mean, I think he's definitely um, one step ahead of everybody else, maybe even two or three in, in, the, in the QB race, especially given that Jordan's really the only guy on campus with you know a, le a legitimate chance to play. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot can be said for the fact that he's just more confident out there. You know, it's his, it's his second year in the program, and they've definitely made an effort in practice to get, you know, get a lot of – we got some speed at wide receiver, even with Paul gone. And you see Lee Walker's kind of been more comfortable lately, and they're getting a lot of deep balls out to him right now. And he, he's definitely throwing the ball with more accuracy on those deep balls, which is what you want to see. And, and, yeah, I mean, to me it looks like he's improved his arm strength overall, especially on those deep outs. One thing I wanted to add that he has, I wouldn't say he's improved on, except I would say moved into, which is the role of a leader. And I talked to one player who told me he has really earned the respect of his teammates as a leader. And I think, you know, his toughness last year has a lot to do with that. Because last spring, you know, I asked this, this same player, um, you know, how's Connor doing? And they said, well, he looks good in spring ball, but... Everyone is just waiting to see what he does in the game because we know what, we, what he did the, the season before. Well, that problem hasn't uh, come come about with Sefo, and I was told that you know he's really being respected by his teammates and is without question a leader. Speaking of Connor Wood, just I didn't want to bash him. Um, he just I wanted to congratulate him. He just got a huge job um, in the business world out in Texas back home. So. Yeah, good for, him. good for him. I think from Colorado's standpoint, it'd be nice to have that experience back up on, on your roster, but it's hard to blame him. He had been through a lot, you know, going Absolutely. from Texas out here, and uh, obviously last year didn't shake out the way uh, it turned out. So I think maybe you don't want a guy in your locker room that doesn't want to be there. So you're either all in or you're not. So congratulations to Connor Wood. Uh, that's good news. Uh, just going back to Cepho real quick, there was a throw, the first, I think the first throw of the scrimmage last Friday, a beautiful – deep pass to Nelson Spruce. There was a throw, I think the second scrimmage, where he just threw a 
beautiful pass to Bryce Bobo for a 56-yard touchdown. So definitely some improvement uh, with his deep throw. Sand Buff also wanted to know, will Kenneth Crawley retain his starting position? And that's a question that I don't think Colorado's coaches could answer at this point in time. And the reason is because Akella Witherspoon, their newcomer at cornerback, has looked I don't. I think fantastic's too strong of a word because it's more in pass coverage that that he's kind of shined. But he's shown really good ball skills and he's shown that he can compete for a starting gig. Uh, he's a very skinny. Uh, he's six two and a half, and I don't know. Naked eye, he looks about one seventy five. Yeah. He's he's pretty thin. Yeah, he's he's a skinny, skinny guy for sure. I mean, you can see the flashes there in this game for sure. But you know, it's it's taken him some time to get used to the system. You can see McIntyre specifically is working with him a lot on where he needs to be in specific packages. Um, so if he if he figures out the mental side and know and you know is comfortable with where he's supposed to be on the field at all times, I think he probably will take over for Crowley. And that's not really a you know to throw any negative spin on Crowley. I mean he's he's going to be a quality backup if he ends up not one of the first two, you know, obviously Greg has got one spot lined up, but between him and Akello, if he, he'll play if he doesn't start, and I think he'll be a quality depth guy if he loses the spot. Yeah, it's not a foregone conclusion that Witherspoon's going to be out Crowley. Anyways, yeah, Crowley yeah. was, he had a finger injury, missed uh, four practices the first half of spring ball, so that kind of set him back in terms of uh, getting reps out there, but he's, he's back healthy now, and obviously the thing with Crowley is he's so athletic, but in, in key moments, he just does not know when to react to the ball. And, and how much can you coach that? And how much of that is instinct? You know, and he is only, you know, he was only a true sophomore last year. He didn't get the time to develop that he probably needed. Like we've seen Yuri Wright now kind of take a step back and get a chance to develop a little bit. So Yuri Wright's in the mix. Um, Cheeto Bayouze still taking reps at both corner and nickelback. I think maybe for one more year because you still have Greg Henderson in the program. Maybe you keep Cheeto Bay at that nickelback for one more year. But suddenly, the, as I wrote in, in my Yuri Wright piece today, suddenly there is competition at cornerback, and it's pretty thick. And that's got to be pretty exciting. That's yeah, the better positions. It's, all yeah, of a it's the first time in a while for the program that you've you have a good problem in that you don't know who's going to start the position because there are quite a few talented guys back there. I just think for not a problem is Jason Espinosa, right? Or Goodson, right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I think Akello, people are going to like him because he's a lot more aggressive to the ball than Crowley. I think that's a big issue that you know fans and coaches alike have said about Crowley. He just doesn't make enough plays on the ball. Um, and so if Akella can put it together, I think fans will like him because he's a lot more aggressive in that nature. And really the wild card at cornerback is Jeffrey Hall, who's suspended this spring. He was actually – he replaced Crawley in that Utah game last year and looked pretty really good well. in the second half of that game. And when I talked to McIntyre before um, Jeffrey Hall had that off-the-field incident, he was talking very highly of him. He was actually going to be hurt anyways for spring. He had a hip surgery. But he's a guy, if, if he gets things straightened out that – if he if he enters a preseason camp in good standing, you're talking about a really good two deep at the cornerback position. Uh, moving on, Maximus Buff, uh, who's been on the show before, talking about offensive linemen, of the program, a, a friend of the show. He wants to know what's different this spring. Is it better or worse? How so, Maximus? That's a very loaded question. <laughs> uh, I, in terms of what's better or worse, what's different? The first thing that came to my mind is obviously. You're doing more coaching instead of evaluating players like they had to do last year because it was their first spring. And there's less concern about the team having a fragile psyche. They took over and they saw this group that just mentally was worn down. And last spring, they, they, had, to, they had to love them up a little bit, you know. And it's, 
I think they're a little bit able to be a little bit more constructive in their criticism and not have kid gloves on mm-hmm. out out there on the practice fields this spring, which is good. I mean, a football team there needs to be a lot of yelling, and now it's got to be the right type of yelling. Again, constructive criticism, not screaming for the sake of screaming. Um, and so that's that's one thing that's different. Obviously, uh, Andy Larusa working with the def- defensive ends, and, and Mike McIntyre, uh, the head coach, working with the cornerbacks this spring is a different uh, situation than what they had last year. Um, I talked to McIntyre about that today, and he said the move had more to do with him wanting there to be an extra guy working with the young defensive ends, uh, Derek McCartney, um, Marquise Reed. Even though Jimmy Gilbert's not participating due to a shoulder injury, he's still out there at practice every day. So it's another guy that's coaching those defensive ends. And I hadn't really thought about it until he said it. McIntyre said, basically, there's a coach for every two to three players that are on the field now because you have the defensive end, with Larusa, defensive tackles with Jeff Code. He and Jeff Code's still working with the ends as well. And then you've got Kent Bear with the linebackers, Charles Clark with the safeties, and then McIntyre with corners and nickel. So you're able to give those guys constant coaching on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, personnel changes. Judah Parker has uh, moved inside to defensive tackle, and he switched with Tyler Hennington, who uh, lost some weight. He's now a defensive end. <coughs> Ryan Moeller came in as a walk-on, actually a pretty highly recruited walk-on, uh, as, as weird as that sounds, um, but he uh, was playing running back initially. He's at safety now, and he's a guy that is actually starting to make plays and as a walk-on could potentially be a backup at safety this year. Uh, I don't think that would surprise anybody. Clay Norgard has moved from linebacker to defensive tackle, and Kaivi Crab getting reps at left tackle as well as guard and center. He's played every offensive line position. So those are a few things that are different from a personnel standpoint. Maximus Buff also asks, uh, are there any positions where you think we are in pretty good shape? And we already talked about cornerback. That's actually, you know, kind of surprised me when I, I actually committed to that because it has been a position that struggled so much. The other position with Philip Lindsay emerging at running back, that was the other position that came to mind. You've now got Michael Atkins, an explosive guy that's pretty well-rounded back. You've got Christian Powell, your, your power back that can play some fullback. And now you've got Philip Lindsay, who's pound for pound, one of the toughest guys on the team, really quick first step. And then even beyond that, you, Malcolm Creer's not a bad fifth or sixth back on yeah, your he's roster. Yeah, he's getting a lot of reps in practice, definitely. So and I, think, I think they feel confident in him in a backup role. And, and we can't forget about Tony Jones, who's played a lot of football for Colorado, and, and Dante Abram, who showed promise as a true freshman before kind of – Getting lost in the mix last year. That's those are the two positions that came to mind. Tyler, do you have any? Uh... Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say, especially compared to last year at this time, looking at the safeties, uh, they're in a much more comfortable position comparatively. Um, Jared Bell's looking better and better out there. Tedrick Thompson, he's kind of been in a non-contact jersey for the past week or so, at least in the practices that I've been. Yeah, to. he got a concussion, um, yeah. but he said he's going to be able to play uh, in the spring game. Yeah, McIntyre's been pretty high on him, it seems like. And now you have Terrell Smith back and healthy, who you know isn't isn't a favorite for everybody for sure. But as a, as a backup guy, and if you need an extra safety and run support, he's a guy you can rely on. He's a veteran here too. Um, I, w- I wouldn't say that they're you know above average Pac-12 right now, but I think it's vastly improved from where we were a year ago at that position. Last spring, the quarterbacks were completing passes at will over the top of those safeties, yeah. and I remember we talked on this show about how major concern that was. Just you, run straight, that's what we said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was open every time it seemed, yeah. uh, so not quite as uh, big an issue. I agree with you, Tyler, there. I don't know if I'm quite ready to say it's it's 
a position of strength quite yet. No, I wouldn't say that either. But I just think it's the the improvement has been drastic enough that it's there isn't quite as big a hole in that secondary as there used to be. And I would have said actually I've been pretty impressed with the wide receivers. I was going to say well. wide receivers. Yeah, the the redshirt freshmen, both of them last year. Bryce Bobo obviously has been. You know, I know you're a huge fan of his, and McIntyre has been praising him quite a bit. And yeah. the practices I've been to, Elijah Dunson has really impressed me as well. Um, they play a little bit of a different style, but um, I, th- I think we have maybe a little more talent there than I was expecting to see coming. Back. And when you think of the addition of Shea Fields to that group right. as well. Ryan, we're not hearing your voice enough. Do you want to read, read these questions off? Yeah. Um, so, D-A-B buff or D-A-B buff, <laughs> however you want to pronounce that. Uh, how do you... How do the players look physically after a year and a half of Foreman? Do they seem to be thinking less and playing faster? Okay. Uh, well, with Dave Foreman, and we've seen this discussion on some of the photo galleries I've put up that fans are kind of up in arms about the fact that you're not seeing these huge biceps, and that's really not the emphasis. They want to see Patrick Young out there. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the emphasis for, for Dave Foreman and his staff has been more on conditioning and speed and less on muscle bulk. And I think that's where you have to kind of go if you're Colorado to keep up with these other Pac-12 teams that have that speed off four- and five-star recruits. And we saw when, when Pittman was the strength and conditioning coach at Colorado, they were swole. They were big. Didn't really translate to success on the football field. So, yeah, you might want to look intimidating getting off the bus. And for that, I think you're going to have – a handful of guys that get off the bus first, and your whole team is not going to have that element right now uh, for Colorado. And as far as um, do the players look physically uh, better after a year and a half, it kind of depends on the player. There's some guys that have been asked to lose weight, other guys that have gained weight. Um, and I think somebody asked me specifically about that later, so I'm going to get a little bit more into that. Um, as far as do they seem to be thinking less and playing faster, I would I would say that's pretty noticeable. I mean, it's not like a – you know, world of difference, but mm-hmm. I feel like you can kind of get that sense. And a good example to me is when Lee Walker comes in, and you can tell he's in over his head, even though he's got speed. Whereas a guy like Nelson Spruce is just—I mean—he's on top of it. He's—he's he's making plays left and right and playing with that that mentality of the thinking less and playing faster. I, I feel like there's—you can—you can tell that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I would think coupled with the fact that there's just more speed on the field. I mean, you can see that they've focused on speed in the recruiting over size. Um, there are definitely a few guys out there that I mean, we've discussed a little back and forth that there are definitely some guys who've gained some good weight on the team. Overall, it, it's a small team. I think that's fair to say. Um, but right now, they're, they're trying to increase their speed, and I think that's that's the first priority as a target on the incoming recruit, not the, not the overall size. I mean, you can build... We're, not, we're never going to be huge probably, but you can build up, you know, size over the course of four years of college. It's a little tougher to make somebody faster once they get on campus. I mean, True. You, you, there can be minute changes here and there, but a guy who's fast is fast. You know, that's one of those things you can't really teach. Next question comes from Ralphie Berger, which just – it brings up a question for me, just his name. And Tyler, as our fan correspondent, maybe you can ask this. Do Buff fans eat bison burgers? Is that – is that like a, a faux pas of being a Buffs fan? You're not supposed to eat buffalo? Uh, I might get in trouble here, but I actually love buffalo burgers. I eat them a lot at Blake Street Tavern. So <laughs> hopefully I won't get crucified by the fan board here. But, All right, I've always but yeah, them. I happen to love them. Good lean meat. And I, I feel like I'm supporting. <laughs> they died They died strong, you know? like They went to a good cause, me. And so, and. and yeah. d- my brother's bar in the Highlands. It's actually called my brother's bar. It's not my brother's <laughs> yeah. bar. They have a 
a burger, though. This, I think, is wrong. They name it the Ralphie Burger. I think that's messed up because you're actually thinking about eating Ralphie if you ordered that. Yeah, that's probably what he's named after. We're going to have to find out yeah, if he's well, named after the Ralphie Burger. Ralphie Burger, if you're listening, post in the comments. <laughs> we want your story. All right. Anyways, he wants to know, Addison Gillum mentioned cohesion as noticeably different this spring. Has that translated to noticeable changes in practices and workouts? Honestly, we're not in the locker room. We the the amount of time we have to interact with these guys is limited. You're out of practice. There there are times the team has been going through a long losing streak and they still seem to have some energy on the practice fields. And then you hear later after the coaching change that oh it was horrible under the former coaching staff. And I mean uh, Addison Gillum as a newcomer. I mean he, he doesn't really have a uh, you know. I don't think he has a bone to pick with Embry because he wasn't on campus when he was there, but he definitely told me that there were issues last year. And now he says they're just having more fun. And then when there's is criticism that they actually don't just go into the tank for the rest of the practice. And um, that's something I said earlier, you know, you don't have to treat these guys with keep gloves anymore, which is important as football coaches. Um, I mean, can you notice cohesion out there? It's so hard to do that with your naked eye just yeah, watching practice. It's tough. I mean, the one, the one thing that I've noticed is la- last year's team kind of molded into the best players on each side of the field were really young, Cepho and Addison specifically. Um, so it's tough to have that leadership role like you talked about him coming into. And I've noticed this year that in practice, like the, the coaches rely on, more on Cepho and Addison specifically to make sure people are doing drills the right way, be vocal, and just kind of have more of a secondary coaching mindset out there on the practice field to make sure people are doing things the right way. I mean, you, I certainly haven't seen any issues as far as people not getting along. I mean, even, even the guys who are doing um, doing rehab on the sidelines are like talking with each other and enjoying, you know, enjoying their own company and make, you know making every moment count. So for me, it's been good. Dara O'Neill's not getting in fights with the backup punter anymore. No, good. Today was a pretty chippy practice, though. The, the lines were getting after it, which is good. This is football. Agreed. All right, uh, another one from Ralphie Berger. Speaking of workouts, any returners look like they put on some good weight in the last few months? Yeah, uh, a handful of guys. Seppo Lufau looks like he's put on, I don't know, five pounds of good good weight. Michael Atkins, a little bit on the upper body, has gained a little bit of good weight. Philip Lindsay, is, he's jacked for a short guy. He's really stout. Uh, Devin Ross, I noticed uh, the other day, it looked like he had gained some good weight. Mark Musto is up to 295. He looks like a legit uh, Division One tackle now. Dijon Wilson on the defensive line, I think, has put on uh, some good weight. I think he, he's always had weight. I think it looks like better weight now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the number one guy, without question, is Derek McCartney. He he's looks legit. He is, and he he looks legit at defensive end. I think he will eventually grow into a defensive tackle here in, in a year or two. Yeah, I mean, I think you keyed on all the ones that I've noticed throughout practice. I was gonna, yeah, I noticed you didn't have McCartney on the list, and I was definitely gonna hammer that home. He, I'm a pretty big dude, and when you when he walks by me, he's very comparable in size to me. And when he first got here, he was skinny, and he's put on a lot of really good weight. Um, the only other one that you didn't mention that I've kind of noticed in the last couple weeks is Bryce Bobo is still not jacked by any means but it seems like he's put on some solid weight especially in the arms he well he was 200 when he came in he lost a bunch of weight and he's put on a little bit more. like he's i think he was like 200 when he came in he was down to 190 i think he's like around 195 of like better weight now he yeah, said he was kind yeah, of slow kind of, kind of the same thing that you said with um dejan wilson he, he looks better like he's got the right the weight in the right yeah yeah uh c bardeen asks 
What about the team aspect? Uh, do people know their responsibilities, and are they playing with emotion? Yeah, I would think so, and the number one reason I would say that is because last year, no joke, they had a period that was dedicated to celebrating. They would go in the end zone and jump up, and they had to like teach these guys how to play football and, and have fun with it again, and I haven't seen that period this year, so that's a good sign, and when you see them make a big play, like when Jesse hits the yeah. walk-on um, f- fullback in, in the yeah. scrimmage last week, Street scored a play. touchdown, yeah. I mean, the whole team is yeah. freaking oh, yeah. out. The whole offensive side of the field. <laughs> they were all down in the end zone celebrating. Yeah. I've never seen that before, at least not in the practice, so that was good to see. Yeah, and it's been a little bit more of commonplace this mm-hmm. spring. Um, Buff2 JD asks, one of the phrases McIntyre often uses is knowledge equals confidence equals playing fast. Are we seeing more of that from the players on the field? Yeah, this uh, there was a similar question a little bit earlier about that, and, and um, like I said, then I think there is difference. Um, again, when you're talking about spring ball, you don't want to paint too broad a brush in terms of your impressions because you have to take everything you see out there with a grain of salt. But I just feel like there is a little bit, just a little bit more crispness, and I think that would be a result of his McIntyre saying confidence equals playing fast. Yeah, I mean, I think you just get used to the play. I mean, there, there's no awkwardness now, I guess is how I would put it. Last year, you come in, you don't know what you have in a, in a roster. You don't know how you can coach this guy. You don't know how you can coach that guy. And it's the second year in the system for these guys. So I think it's just natural that they would be a little more comfortable, um, a little more confident in where they're supposed to be in their sets. All right, next one comes from C. Smith, who's just a big fan of the Colorado road system. Uh, can you please give us a rundown of who has been awarded the gold jerseys throughout spring ball? Oh, Have they been awarded based entirely off of <laughs> what? There's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I listed them out, yeah. Have they been awarded entirely off of performance, or is there a character or a leadership element there as well? Okay, so if fans aren't familiar, uh, what they started doing, and it, it didn't start at the very beginning of spring ball, it happened a week in, was McIntyre started this tradition where, um, and their theme this year is uncommon. They wear uncommon wristbands around. They, they created this uncommon jersey. It's a gold jersey with a big U on the front. It says uncommon in the back where a player's name would normal be, normally be. And basically, after each practice, they find the player that had the best hustle play on offense, defense, and special teams. And uh, basically, I think that the assistant coaches nominate it, and then McIntyre makes the final decision. They announce it in front of the whole team. And if you – so, like, for instance, today, whoever had the big hustle play on Monday will get awarded that gold jersey for Wednesday, and you get to wear that for, for that next practice. And uh, if you get it twice, then you get to keep the gold jersey on for the rest of spring ball. And the first guy to get it twice was Cheeto Bay Awuze, um, a defensive back. And just off the top of my head, this I'm missing one or two, but this is pretty much a complete list of the guys that have been awarded – the gold uncommon jersey at least once. Uh, that list is Sefo Lufau, Addison Gillum, Tedrick Thompson, Josh Tupo, Richard Yates, Woodson Greer, Nelson Spruce, Daniel Munyer, and then today, uh, Brady Day, Mark Musto, and Marquise Mosley were the guys wearing the gold uncommon jersey. Ogbody had one the one day that I was there, too. Olubode did, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So that's the only one that I remember off the top of my head that one's coming. Finally, one for me. Question for Ryan, would you pursue a JC player or, or a transfer if Spencer Dinwiddie goes to the NBA? Uh, would they bank the scholarship for the 2015 class? We're going to get into this a little bit more later in the show, I think, um, with Tyler talking more about the list of transfers. But um, if, if I'm in Tad Boyle's position, I definitely, I definitely look there. I think that fifth year 
transfer from a senior is the, the perfect situation. Um, if they do lose Spencer, that would be a great thing if they can get a guard to come in. Um, obviously, you know, you have Dom coming in, and he's going to have a huge role on that team if Spencer's not there. But, you know, that's still a freshman, and we've said it so many times on this show and everywhere. You never know exactly what you're getting from a freshman. To have a guy that you've seen two, three, maybe even four years of what they've done, or I guess not four, two or three years of what they've done in college already and know that you can bring them in and have that there, I think that that's, that could be really valuable to that team. Good stuff, good stuff. Before we move on to uh, our CU men's basketball recruiting segment, I just want to ask you guys, what are you going to be looking for this Saturday with with Colorado Spring Game, which kicks off at noon? If you're not in the Colorado area, it's going to be on the Pac-12 networks. If you are in, in town, aren't able to make it up to Folsom Field, 760 AM is going to have a radio broadcast, and then, of course, we'll have great coverage from the event as well. Uh, Tyler, let's start with you. What are you looking for in the spring game? Yeah, I mean, I think you, at this point you want to find some things that take this team to the next level. And so for me, the three big keys are offensive line improvement. Um, you know, without a quality offensive line, it's hard to take the next step. Um, defensive athleticism, uh, so being able to play multiple positions, get to the quarterback, you know, cause some turnovers, that type of thing. And uh, I'd like to see us um, spread out, spread around the ball. Obviously, we don't have Paul as a go-to guy anymore. Nelson will probably come into that role. But there's going to be a lot of people that need to catch balls this season for Colorado. And uh, to get the ball out quickly, I mean, I think especially with our offensive line concerns, to be able to get the ball out in space quickly and let people make plays is a way that we can move the ball down the field. Not that I want to see anything bad happen to Seth Alufa or Jordan Gerke, but I wish just for the spring game there could be contact because – you know, in these scrimmages, it's sometimes hard to tell exactly how legit the pass rush is or if there's times when um, it would have been a sack, but they, you know, the defensive guy can't hit them, so they sneak out and then throw a bomb and it's a touchdown and you're kind of wondering, you know. Um, so that's one thing that's hard to tell. McIntyre does want to see. He wants to see, um, he said, the defensive ends that have been performing well this spring, he wants to see them do that in the spring game to kind of prove they can do it on a bigger stage. And yeah. the number one guy there is Derek McCartney, who's been – good in all the scrimmages and this would be you know i think a great stage for him to kind of maybe not alleviate the stress that some colorado fans have about the pass rush but at least make them feel like there could be a replacement for what chadera uzo deribe brought because he was a good pass rusher and they still finished last in the pac-12 in sacks last year i mean and that kind of goes back to him getting double teamed almost every time he's out there yeah but um for me, it's just, first of all, I want I just want to see all the stuff you guys have been talking about. Unfortunately, schedule conflicts have, have kept me away from spring practice, So, and I, I do follow the great coverage that Adam provides to the board, so I, I want to see all the stuff he's been talking about and all the players and Akella Witherspoon and just, you know, all the people that we've heard about throughout the spring. But mostly I want to see uh, Cepho and just his improvements that have been talked about, especially with the deep ball. I think that's a really important aspect that they're going to need to have out there. So I want to see that, and then of course I just I want I don't want to see eggnog. I want to see chocolate milk out there. Chocolate milk always no. delivers, and <laughs> makes you fat though too. That, that's okay. I just don't want to see that. I don't want to go out there excited to see football and get let down like eggnog. The the th- there's three specific players. I'm actually I'd say four because Derek McCartney is in this as well. Um, kind of going off my earlier point, but three other guys on offense that I want to see. Um, kind of translate what they've done this spring to the, to the spring game. Number one is uh, is Bryce Bobo at receiver. He's a guy that's going to be on the field quite a bit this year. Has been working in as Nelson Spruce's backup, and you know with personnel packages now, you, he's basically going to play 
kind of like a, a co-starter, you would think, a lot, of, a lot of times this year. Philip Lindsay, who I talked about earlier, if you have Christian Powell kind of playing in that fullback role, that big back role, Philip Lindsay could be your kind of number two tailback. And you see how running backs get banged up in college football nowadays. You need to have a solid number two. He's looked exactly like that. And just to see him translate to the bigger stage would be big. And then can Jordan Gerke be your backup quarterback? And this this will be the biggest stage he's been on since joining the program last summer because Kate Apsay is coming, coming in uh, in June. And it can, can Jordan Gerke go out there? He's struggling with consistency. He has moments of uh, good football followed up by you know bad decisions and whatnot. So I think that if you can go out there and have a solid spring game, that would make you feel better about a potential backup quarterback situation. Because if he can't do it, then you're asking a true freshman to do it, and we haven't seen him on campus yet. That's a little scary, especially you know the offensive line might not be a team strength that we don't most people don't expect it to be. So Savo is going to get hit a few times this year. So and, and you know that McIntyre isn't going to be afraid to put. Apsay in there if he's the best option. And we saw last year with Sefo Lufau, he said, he's my backup quarterback. I don't care if Connor loses his helmet for one play. That's who's going in there. So McIntyre's not going to be worried about a red shirt if Jordan Gerke doesn't hone down that position. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's enough for football. And we'll have more from uh, more football talk. Obviously, there'll be some stuff to talk about after the spring game this coming Saturday. Let's jump into CU men's basketball recruiting. Ryan, you haven't made it out to uh, cover spring practices for football, but you've had a chance this past weekend to get out to a few AAU events here locally in Colorado. Talk a little bit about one of them was the West Coast Elite Camp. Yeah, that's where I was yesterday. Um, basically, uh, over 100 of the of the top prospects in Colorado. And first of all, it's just crazy for me to say top prospects in Colorado and think of D1 prospects. I mean, five years ago, you would have said, all right, you would have sat down at this event if it existed back then and said, all right, who's the D1 guy here? And there was plenty of D1 guys there yesterday. So I, I just think that's great for uh, for Colorado basketball. But um, it was a really good event. They brought in a couple guys from out of state. And you saw a guy who uh, I was seeing for the first time, uh, Trace Tinkle. He's the son of the Wild, uh, Montana head coach, Wayne Tinkle. And uh, he's in the Rivals 150 He's a good he's a, a good prospect. He showed really everything yesterday. I mean, he he's a, a six 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 seven guy, uh, around two hundred pounds, and he can dribble, he can shoot, he he can go up in the post. He's going up against um, guys like Chance Comanche, not directly, but you know he he's scoring in the paint against a seven footer or almost a seven footer who has who's athletic. Um, and then uh, um, you talk about Colorado guys. Austin Conway just blew me away yesterday. I mean, the first time I, I really got to see him was last summer in Las Vegas, and first thing you notice is he's the fastest guy on the court. But he was dribbling t- to just nowhere, you know. He didn't know where he was going with it. He was just, I'm going, and wherever I end up is wherever I end up. And now you're seeing him use that speed to really run an efficient break. Um, he's really, I, I, get, I don't know if it's just playing more, but he's really figured out what he needs to do on that break, whether it's I'm going to go as fast as I can and then drop it off to you know a trail, I'm going to get all the way to the rack, or, or I'm going to pull up and shoot. And speaking of his shooting, his shooting has improved tenfold. I mean, he I think I only saw him miss one three yesterday. He probably hit five or six. And his mid-range game, it, it almost reminds me of a skia, the way that he really elevates on his jump shot. And, and when he's square to the basket, he's really good at making it and He's doing a really good job of getting square to the basket. So Austin blew me away. Um, Deron Davis was Deron Davis. 
Um, he, he's a great guy. It's kind of unfortunate in um, events like this because it's, you know, these guys aren't playing on a team they're not that they've played with before. They don't have their normal coach. So the, fa- the, the element of the game of throwing it into the post kind of gets lost. It's a lot of one-on-one face-up. But you see that when Deron Davis gets his back to the basket, he is an extremely, extremely good player. So, um, and, and like I, I put out on Twitter, he told me he recently picked up an offer from North Carolina, which is, that's big time because the fact, North Carolina doesn't really offer underclassmen very often at all. So that tells you a little something about um, Duran. Yeah, well, you know, kind of going from that to a more CU-related question here, the the Rivals 150 for the class of 2015 came out not too long ago, within the last couple of weeks. I've had a few Colorado fans ask me this question, and I said we were going to talk about it on this show, and so I'm going to throw this question to you, Ryan. Which of those 150 guys, those, I think that's kind of, in basketball terms, you kind of categorize that those as the blue chippers, right? Yeah. I mean, they're not all four stars, but anybody that you get in the 150s. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie is a three-star. Yeah, Ryan yeah. Was 150 guy. That's kind of the way I've always looked at it. Ryan, which of those guys should, should uh, CU fans keep keep the closest eye on from that Rivals 150? Yeah, CU is kind of in an interesting position in 2015. We've heard, I mean, how big this class really can be, and... They're kind of just on the fringe with a lot of prospects where they stand right now. Um, still has a, a, a lot a, a lot of potential to be a, a really great class. I think um, that if they could have made a run in this year's tournament, I mean, you look at Spencer going down, I think that kind of would have helped them. But they still have a lot of good guys that they're looking at. Um, first is a guy like Cameron Walker, who we've talked about before. Um uh, another wing in the uh, in the Tad Boyle mold of a wing. He has he can handle the ball pretty well. Can shoot it. Um, slashes just your typical Tad Boyle wing. Um, then you look at a guy like Justin Simon, who CU made it into his top ten, but they're in some serious company in that top ten with you know schools like Arizona and whatnot. Um, not UCLA though. Am I right? He was left. He left UCLA. I don't remember the exact list, but. Um... There, I don't remember if it was UCLA, but I remember there was one school that there was a surprise team left out. So right, then um, they are going to be looking for a, a shooting guard in 2015 with the departure of Askia Booker. So um, Rex Fluger is um, a player that fits into exactly what they want from that position. Um, his brother plays at USC. If if I had to, if you had to guess right now, you'd say that that's the favorite. But CU definitely in good standing. Um, we're going to hope to catch up with him sometime this week and, and get a better idea of that. And then Jeremy Hemsley is another guy from that position that that uh, people should be familiar with. Um, last summer he, he said CU is a dream school when uh, Will Whalen interviewed him. So he's a guy, um, <clears throat> not, the, not the knockdown shooter that everyone seems to want and, and love so much. But he he gets to the basket and he's got a good mid range game and you know who knows this summer he could really develop that jump shot and then finally Jimmy Witt is a guy who plays um, <clears throat> on that KC run GMC AAU program that uh, CU has obviously built a good relationship with getting Dom Collier and Tory Miller out of there and of course they'll probably have two guys on their team willing to to recruit Jimmy Witt um, a player that is just he's just really fun to watch. He's just so smooth, and 
um, a, a good shooter from the mid-range as well and, and outside. So those are the guys um, in that 150 that are, that are standing out with CU to have a chance right now. And Benny Boatwright. I love Benny Boatwright out of there. It seems like most of the time from basketball recruits, after the AAU season of their junior years, going into their senior is kind of when they figure out which schools they're going to take an official visit to. So I think we'll keep an eye on those guys and see which of them light up a trip and they come out usually uh, beginning in, in early September. Um, so that's that's when that should heat up in terms of the right now it's it's like you know you mentioned one guy down to 10 now. It's not quite a series yeah. for these guys quite yet. Uh, in terms of the guys that um, are in this class, you're you're talking about them needing a shooting guard with a ski of Booker uh, graduating after next season how many guys is Colorado going to sign with this 2015 basketball class um well you look at Spencer uh the possibility of him leaving and I don't I don't look you never know with Tad but I don't look at him um going into the late 2014 class to bring in another guy if Spencer does leave this year um obviously there's the the possibility of that transfer but you never know if that's going to be a senior transfer so you're looking at two and then with with Spencer and Ski, and then of course um, you never know with attrition or, or whatever. There there's a chance that they could get three. So two to three is probably a good number to look at there. Okay, um, if, if Dinwiddie does leave and and there is that open scholarship that they could potentially fill right away with um, a transfer, Tyler, who are some of the guys in the transfer market that could be a possibility there? Yeah, I mean, this is always a hot topic this kind of this time of the year because especially in basketball, it's become so popular for those fifth-year transfers to come in and help teams right away. I mean, you see not even necessarily a fifth-year, but you see a guy like Joseph Young in Oregon, uh, TJ McConnell at Arizona, some, some guys that Colorado fans will recognize around the Pac-12 that have helped teams. Um, I'll, I'll preface this by saying – None of these guys I would put a high chance of actually coming through here. I, I just put together a list of the, the most high-quality guys that are available on the market right now. It seems like at this point in the year, the availability among high major prospects is pretty low. Um, a lot of the times you see these guys are on the transfer list because they're not producing for the team they're playing on now, so it makes it a little tougher for them to stay high major a lot of the time. Um, but there are, there are five guys from high major programs that play point guard, shooting guard, that I think could help this team. Um, Bryce Dijon Jones is a guard from UNLV, um, averaged 13.6 points a game, three and a half rebounds and three assists, so he's a guy that can come in and lead your offense. Um, has the potential to be an elite scorer and plays for a really quality program right now. Um, the, the number one scorer among everybody is definitely Aaron Harris from West Virginia. Uh, averaged 17 points a game this year and also shot 42% from three. So I know some people will get excited about that because we've, we've been looking to see um, an outside shooter come in here. Uh, Ronnie Johnson from Purdue is kind of just a really quality all-around overall point guard. Averaged 11 points, three rebounds, four assists a game. Um, and Tyler Lewis, who has kind of had an interesting career, he was really – actually a pretty highly rated player coming out of high school, but he's really undersized. Played for NC State, and he's not a great athlete, so it was kind of an interesting mix for him going there, and it hasn't really worked out for him. He was actually known as a shooter coming out of college, um, but he really hasn't done much there. He averaged four assists a game, four points. Uh, he only shot 23% from three, so it's kind of an interesting. He really hasn't panned out as, as, um, as far as what his expectations were, so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. I would expect that he'll probably fit better somewhere else and help help a team. And then Jerome Seegers, who's from Rutgers, um, is another 40% shooter uh, point guard who 
we might have some interest in. Uh, from the lower lower ranks, uh, Jalen Jackson is a Central Arkansas guard. Shot 48% from three this year. Um, not an elite scorer. He averaged 10 a game. But uh, if we're looking to get you know better on the three-point line, he's probably the number one guy out there right now. And then Nolan Kressler, who is Cornell's best player, um, averaged 17 points a game and uh, shot a respectable 36% from three. So those are the guards that I think probably will you'll hear the most going to the high major guys. Yeah, first off, we don't know if that scholarship's going to be available. Second, right. you said you know the likelihood of any of these guys even ending up as Colorado's uh, is pretty uh, pretty low at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know – like we were talking before the show, there's only one guy on there that would be would come from a West Coast program. Right, yeah. So. I think that's the toughest thing is we don't really have any connections with any of these guys right now. Even out of high school, most Colorado fans won't recognize most of those names yeah. unless they're big basketball fans. I mean, I think that, there's two power forward guys out there, too, that I think could really help this team in terms of toughness. Um, and that's Chris Obekba, who's uh, come from St. John's. He's not much of a scorer, only averaged four points a game and four rebounds, but he was one of the nation's leading shot blockers. He averaged over three a game, and he's just a really physical presence down low. And Kyle Davis, who does come from Utah State, which is kind of a regional thing, uh, we didn't recruit him, but he was his guy averaged nine points and seven and a half rebounds in the Mountain West, which has some big bodies too. So he's a guy that I think will probably transfer into a high major program. It just depends on whether or not we show some interest. Good stuff. Well, before we move on to our next topic, Ryan, I was going to ask you, you, you talked to Dominique Collier and Tori Miller, obviously Colorado's uh, 2014 basketball signees. Any notable tidbits you can throw out there just from catching up to these guys after their senior year, the um, senior season? You know, I think it was interesting to hear Tori Miller talk about how how much he matured um, in prep school. And when I and I said, you know, you know, prep ball is a little bit different than high school ball and he laughed. He said, It's really, really different. And and, you know, this is one of those things where he's already had to live away from home and kind of in a dorm setting. So I think um, just the fact uh, that he's done that, when he comes into Colorado, it's not gonna be such a big transition that you see um, for guys like Xavier Talton who comes from, you know, three A Colorado basketball. It's going to be, you know, he's going to, all right, going into the dorms, I'm used to this. You know, I got study table after class, and it's one of those things where I think this, the transition for him should be a lot smoother than it has been for others. And then another thing is just both of them talking about the relationship that they've had with each other, playing AAU together for now. Three, This will be, uh, or they've done it for three summers. So, you know, they, t- they both talked about how, you know, they, they roomed together on most of their road trips, and they both think that they know each other so well on the floor. You know, Tori, Tori knows where Dom wants him to be, and Dom knows where Tori's going to be. And Dom says, you know, he loves playing with guys that uh, focus on rebounding and defense. And sounds like you're listening to Tad Boyle talk. But uh, <laughs> so, you know, he says that that's the type of player that Tori is, and he, you know, as a point guard, he loves having those guys on his team. I was looking at Tori Miller's stats, and, and he really finished out his season there strong. He was, you look at some of their, they made it to the uh, title game of their, I don't know, their, I don't even know, Con- yeah, conference know either, or yeah. their uh, their prep school uh, conference uh, out there. But he was a guy in a lot of those late games that was really stepping up for them. I mean, he wasn't scoring 20 points a game, but he was scoring 14 and having 10 rebounds and seemed really consistent as the season went on. 
Let's move on a little bit and talk about Pac-12 basketball in terms of the guys that are declaring for the NBA draft. We've got some guys that have already declared and some other ones that are still kind of on the fence. Tyler, you've got the list uh, kind of run down. Which guys from Pac-12 basketball are not going to be in the league next year? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you can start with UCLA because they have two of the five. Um, Kyle Anderson and Zach Levine, uh, both leaving early. I think Kyle Anderson is a shock to no one. I think once you read the articles about Zach, it's not really a shock either. It seems like his, I'm going to call him handlers, but basically his uncle and his his dad, the, the comments they it's made. Like Ralphie out yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> the, the comments they made, I, I, I'm not going to get too, too much into it, but I um, I don't know how how smart of a decision that was going to be. But he's, he's leaving as well after his freshman year, which he started off really hot and uh, – really tapered off down the stretch. Um, Jai Carson said during the season he was leaving. Um, he actually hasn't officially announced that yet, but I think, you know, you, you where there's smoke, there's fire. He's uh, he's probably gone as well. He was almost gone after last year. Right, too. yeah. And uh, Aaron Gordon, same thing, is headed to the NBA. That's also not a surprise at all. He's going to be a lottery pick. And uh, he, his name, he was kind of under the radar compared to some of the other freshmen throughout most of the year. He had a few huge games. But I think the way that he played in the NCAA tournament really, um, really boosted the kind of he's getting love from everybody these days. So I think he, his decision became really easy towards the end. I'm not, and uh, the one that people always forget because it's hard to imagine him declaring early. But once again, Eric Moreland has declared for the NBA draft. Who's a big man from Oregon State. I didn't even um, know that. Yeah, he he did last year as well and came back. So we'll see if he. I don't, I don't think you can do that twice in a row though. So I think he guaranteed that he has to go in. Okay. But uh, he's going to be a guy that he'll he's not going to get drafted, so he'll be playing overseas most likely. Okay. Those, those are the five that have officially declared, and then um, uh, just to run down some guys who uh, we'll likely hear from in the next couple weeks of the deadlines coming up in the next three weeks here. Uh, Jordan Adams from UCLA too, um, Nick Johnson Arizona, Spencer Dinwiddie obviously is the big one here in Colorado has been a big debate. Um, Caleb Tarzuski again Arizona and Ronda Hollis Jefferson also Arizona. Are guys that did you say Jordan been, Adams yeah Jordan Adams was the yeah, okay. first one I, okay. I mentioned on there yeah um those are the five that are kind of wavering right now and I think we'll talk as we go back and forth with each other about which ones I think are going to leave which ones are going to stay and which ones should stay and go so yeah, well, let's uh, let's jump into that. I mean, obviously, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is a part of this conversation as well. You know, the guy that – Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is a guy, Arizona. You know, what they're potentially losing is uh, he's a guy that could really step into a big-time big, big time role next year and really improve his, his stock as a player. That's that's one of the guys when, that you listed off that to me that would seem like a big mistake for him to go pro at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it would be a mistake, although not as big as most would say. I mean, I think he's actually really improved, especially with Brandon Ashley getting hurt this year. He really stepped up his game and kind of his NBA profile. Obviously, he was a highly rated recruit coming in, so you never know. But he he wasn't talked about a lot early in the season. Um, but I, I honestly think he could play his way into a late first-round pick. Um, people are going to love his athleticism. He's really aggressive as a defender, and he's really he's, he's a high-energy guy, kind of like um, Aaron Gordon is as well. NBA guys love that. You know, if you can get a first-round pick who's a high-energy guy, you know he's going to play hard. Um, people will always love that. I think he will end up coming back, and I think he should come back. But I think he's really increased his stock over the past few months. Levine also, that's the other guy I think needs to develop a little bit more. No, he doesn't. He's not, like, go, he's yeah. not going to. So, yeah, for me, there are, people were really high on him early in the year, and 
I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I was really not very high on him. Uh, he doesn't take quality shots. He was shooting the ball really well. And as you saw, as the season went on, he really came back to earth. Um, he's This is a, a common trend among NBA guys for me. There, there's no doubt he'll end up getting drafted in the first round, which will be a mistake. He's, there's so many guys that go into the NBA, they're just ultra-athletic that somebody falls in love with and takes much higher than they really are. He's, he's just not... He's not a great basketball player right now, and so to me, he should have came back to school. So I, I was pretty disappointed to see that um, for him. I, I just don't really see him being much of a. He's definitely not NBA ready, and I don't know that he's ever going to crack a rotation coming out this early. Yeah, um, I, I look at a guy like Jordan Adams. I think Jordan Adams um, is good to go. I think he can go to the NBA right now and um may make make a team and possibly you know uh contribute for them um and Tarzuski is another guy i think is has my green light to to go to the nba i think physically he he ha, he's put on the weight and um all that to play in the nba and i think you know um coming i don't think he gains anything from coming back another year so those two guys to me stand out as guys that I think should go. Nick Johnson, we, we talked about a little bit before the show, um, and <clears throat> I, I'm i kind of, there's, I guess we, we can all share what we thought about it. I'm kind of in the, uh, in the boat that there's really not much more he can accomplish in college, and he can't really improve his stock by coming back this year. But Adam, you had a good point about him. Well, I feel like he's, in the NBA, he's going to be a very good role player. But you talk about if he comes back for his senior season, he can have a Shabazz Napier type of dream senior season if he comes back. And do you want to – Do you want to? in college basketball, he's a great college basketball player. In the NBA, I don't think he's ever going to be in that great uh, category. So – and then you, you see the way his junior season ended. You know, a shot that he didn't even get off ends up costing them – well, not costing them the game, but didn't give him a chance to win the game. Um, so you got to think that there's a bad taste in his mouth about that. So in, in next year's draft isn't going to be as deep. I don't think he's going to fall. I, I think he could be a late first-round pick a year from now, even though I know it scares a lot of teams, NBA teams, when a guy stays throughout his, the course of his whole college career. Yeah, I mean, I think he has he's in a really unique position that's because. really beneficial for him. I, I agree with Ryan. I think he should go. I think he's improved his offensive game to where he people had him projected as a high lottery pick when he was coming out of high school and he, he never really got there um, and he's, he's not there this year but he's really improved offensively and to me he's NBA ready I think he's the most NBA ready out of the five that we talked about that could be potentially going out um, he's an elite defender and as you said he'll be a great role player I think for the same reasons that you said he can come back I think he should leave because if you're ready for the NBA and you're never going to be a great NBA player you got to get paid while you can um, but Going back to what I was saying earlier, I, th I think you're right. If he comes back, he has a chance to do something really, really special. And the the chances of him playing off getting drafted are slim. So so he so for him, it's a win-win. He can come back and enjoy his college career if he wants to. I don't think anybody would blame him at all. I, but I think if he leaves early, it'll be a smart choice for him as well. So, so if, if I'm any of the five, I want to be Nick Johnson because no matter what I decide to do, I think it's going to work out well for him. I guess the question that I have is – 
mock drafts, it seems like even more so this year. They're, you look at one and they've got a guy as a lottery pick, and another one might not even have him getting picked in the first round. It seems like there's a big disparity in terms of is, if he's a guaranteed first rounder, I guess. I But he's not, right? No, yeah, so, I don't think he's going to be a first round pick. He might be at the very end if somebody likes him, kind of similar to Andre last year, if somebody likes him enough to move up and get him. Um, but I don't think he's going to be a first round pick next year. I, I think he is what he is as an NBA guy. So I think I think he can comfortably go. Now, he's not going to go undrafted. I think that's pretty much a guarantee. Um, so for me, I think it's the right time for him to leave because he's 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 limited um, and he's gotten himself onto NBA watch boards. And I, I think if, if you're able to do that with his skill set, you go early. I think going back to Caleb Tarzewski, I have the opposite opinion as Ryan. Um, to me, he isn't dominating college basketball, and that's a huge red flag when you enter the draft as an NBA big man. If you can't dominate in college, chances are you're not going to be able to dominate in the NBA either. And to me... There's a I, lot just, of, I just think he's re, he's reached his his ceiling. I think he, defensively he's very good. I I've, I think he can and needs to improve on his offensive game and be a more dominant scorer in college basketball before he's really ready to go. He's not a first round pick. He won't get drafted in the first round, and st- he still has time to grow and kind of be the new face of that program. Um, potentially, obviously, there's a lot of good new guys coming in, but I I think he still has some development to do. To me, it would. It would be my, I would tell him to come back. Um, and Jordan Adams, I actually do agree with you. I think he's really NBA ready. Um, people kind of compare him a lot to Dwayne Wade, which is accurate but also unfair. Uh, he's not as good of an athlete, but he plays very similar. He's very physical, a good rebounder for his position, likes to attack the paint, has a good mid-range game, not a great long-distance shooter. Um, he is in a similar position with Nick Johnson. I think if he chooses to go, he'll be a late first-round pick, which is fine. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I think if he chooses to stay, he'll be the face of that UCLA program offensively next year and has a chance to improve his stock. But I, I don't see his stock improving dramatically because he's pretty tapped out potential-wise. Um, so to me, he, him and Nick Johnson are probably the most likely to declare. Um, maybe I, I would say both of them are probably 70-30 right now to go. Um, the other And then Tarzuski and um, Hollis Jefferson, I have them lower, maybe in the 25% range. And Spen- Spencer is going to be the big wild card, and we can go around and talk about. Yeah. I was just going to say one thing on, on Hollis Jefferson. I think it, I agree with Adam, who said you know next year he has a chance to be um, much more of a feature player mm-hmm. in that offense. And I think I, I, I saw some flashes from him. I really think he could play himself into a mid-round, maybe even a late lottery pick if he has a you know a no, great yeah, season I, yeah i agree I, I think his best option is to come back well with spencer you know if he didn't have the knee injury we're not even having this debate he's Absolutely going pro yeah. um so it, it comes into whether or not he's still projected as a possibility as a first round pick i guess i don't it's, it's hard to debate his situation because uh, until we know what the nba thinks about him and, and yeah. if and, you know you hear rumblings that a team like the Phoenix Suns with three first-round picks would be a type of team that could take a chance on on him. And uh, I think basically what I'm getting at is Spencer Dinwiddie, if somebody's willing to take a chance on him, is ready for the NBA. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's just so tough because it's really going to depend on people how people look at his injury and are they willing to take a chance. I mean, healthy, he's third on this list. I mean, there's no way Zach Levine is getting drafted ahead of him healthy. That's just not happening. There's no way Jack Carson, Jordan Adams, Nick Johnson, Rondé, Alice Jefferson, any of those guys. And if I'm an NBA GM, I don't care that he's coming off an injury, he's still getting drafted in front of those guys. Yeah, but I mean, that's just me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, but I think I think now it gets. I mean, Jordan Adams, Jack Carson, Nick Johnson, all late first, early second round guys. They're ready to play. 
You know what you're getting out of him. Um, is somebody willing to take that chance? I, I, the fact that we have to ask the question now really speaks to the fact that the NBA, I mean, we, we would know if he was going. And almost every, every single expert is saying that he should come back. Um, they're not always right, obviously, and they're not as keyed into some of these programs as, you know, some of the local guys are. But he's not getting a lot of draft buzz right now. He's just not. And that's that. I mean, there's a reason for it. Yeah, it, it's it's hard to if, – if it comes back that he's a first-rounder, everybody is going to wish him luck and it's not going to be a sure. big deal. Um, it's an unfortunate thing. The, the thing, too, with those teams late in the first-round pick, they're not always looking for an instant impact guy. So for those teams, a guy coming off an ACL isn't as big a concern. Um, one question uh, that I have for you guys is if you're an NBA GM and you've got Kyle Anderson and Aaron Gordon and they're – two of the top guys on your board, which of those two guys would you draft? And obviously some teams have needs for position, but just mm-hmm. in terms of which player do you think is going to have a better career in the NBA, which guy would you go with? Aaron Gordon. Um, I, I really like Kyle Anderson's game, and I think the, what he's been able to do with his limited athleticism is tremendous. And if he can do it on this level, honestly, I think he's going to have some sex, success at the next level as well because he just has a very quirky game. I don't see Kyle Anderson being a guy that's out of the league in three years. But Aaron Gordon has a chance to be an all-star. Um, I don't like him as much as some others do, for sure. But when you're talking about, I mean, Aaron Gordon, I, I don't, I haven't seen a board and probably won't see a board that has Kyle Anderson higher. I think Aaron Gordon is, a, he's a consensus top ten guy. Kyle Anderson's more in that fifteen to twenty range for most people. Um, he, he, if he can develop any semblance of an offensive game. He's going to be a tremendous player. I mean, you think you see what Blake Griffin has done in the NBA. Not to compare them because it's not really that fair, but Blake Griffin was a much better offensive player, struggled defensively, um, and has now kind of come around to be a quality defensive guy and has really turned his offensive game to the next level. Aaron Gordon has all those pieces that Blake Griffin was missing coming into college. Effort, defense, rebounding. He's elite at all three. Um He's not nearly as good as Blake was on offense, but if he can become even an average offensive player, he'll be an all-star in the NBA. Initially, uh, I was really concerned about him because of his free throw shooting percentage, mm-hmm. which I think was 44% in yeah. his freshman year. But then I started to think about it. He can shoot, the, but he's got some finesse on his shot. I think that when, when that's his job is to be a basketball player, I think he'll be able to get it at least in the 60s where you're not having a pony, opponent – uh, teams doing the hack a shack or, right. you know, uh, DeAndre uh, Jordan has that issue with the Clippers. I, I feel like I have faith in him to improve a little bit. So that's why I, initially I was maybe thinking about going with Kyle Anderson because of that issue. But I, I feel like he will be able to improve in that area. Yeah, I, I go with Aaron Gordon too. To me, Kyle Anderson, I just don't know where, where you slot him. And it's not because of on offense. I think he can figure it out. Just hit the way he plays, he can figure it out from a lot of different positions on offense. Um, if you feel like, you know, throwing him in at point guard on offense as an experiment, I think he'll find a way to make that work. It's just on defense. You know, if you want to play him at point guard in the NBA, how in the world is he going to guard Ty Lawson or John Wall? They're going to go right by him every single time. And then, you know, you look at a three, well, how, you know, he's going to get pushed around by a lot of the three, three, uh, position players in the NBA. Aaron Gordon. Like you said, I, I see a lot of the comparisons to, to Blake Griffin, and I think you know he does have uh, a decent shot that can continue to get better. You saw him knock down some some actually some big time threes 
um, in the Pac-12 tournament and the NCAA tournament. So to me, um, that with that athleticism and the way he plays defense, I think you know it's that would be an easy decision. One last topic I was going to get into, and we we're kind of debating before the show whether we should even talk about this because. Like you said, Ryan, it's a lot of what-ifs, but I was going to have everybody share their way-too-early prediction of the top five Pac-12 teams for 2014-15. Maybe we can just kind of go with it this way and talk about, are there there any surprise teams? For for me, obviously, Utah brings Mm -hmm. back everybody, right? I mean, do they lose anybody off their roster? Not anybody that you would say, oh, crap, (laughs) we're going to have to replace that talent. I mean, first of all, the one thing that nobody talks about with Utah is they have Brecket Chapman coming in, who is one of the best big men on the West Coast. He's ranked 53rd in the most recent Rivals 150 update. He's the best kid they've gotten there in a long time, and he's only going to improve on what is already an incredibly talented um, backcourt. You know, they, they, now they have some front co- front court guys who aren't just out there banging people around and shooting threes every once in a while. And Brecket Chapman is a, a big piece that's going to improve them. Any other surprise teams that they can make a jump? When, uh, you, when, with, when you take into consideration all the talent that is leaving this conference, it's really yeah. astounding. We didn't even talk about the seniors that are leaving. Right, you know, yeah. They, I mean, yeah, the two, C.J. Wilcox and Dwight Powell, uh, are both probably going to be second-round guys, too. So significant losses for those teams. Roberto Nelson um, is done. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the, the list yeah, of mean, guys I, leaving the Pac-12 is to very me, lengthy. Nobody in, in the bottom of the conference is really going to jump up next year so i guess there wouldn't really be a surprise team i was i posed this question on twitter earlier i think there are going to be seven teams that are expected to make the ncaa tournament next year in the pac-12 which is which is interesting because i think you can make an argument that arizona and ucla expecting some attrition that they might even take a step back from last year so we're going to have seven good teams in the league i think it could be on a much better talent scale in the year that we won the Pac-12 tournament, there's a lot of teams that were really jumbled together, and you could even say that about the middle of the conference this year. Um, I, I think those top seven spots could really be fun to watch next year. Yeah, I don't see, obviously, like a, a USC or an Oregon State making some sort of miraculous jump next year. But, I, I mean, going at Utah is going to be a team that I think can be a top three team in the conference if if all goes well for them. Um, <clears throat> DeLon Wright, I mean, he, I think he's definitely capable of getting even better. He can get a better jump shot, and if that happens, everyone should run and hide. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, in terms of the, the, the conference shakeout, I think it's one of those things we where if CU brings back Dinwiddie and everyone else leaves, you look at them as a possibility of, of a one or two spot um, going into the season. It's just the the possibilities of what could happen here is going to change. It's going to change the entire conference, so you, you can't really make a prediction. Yeah, the, the only the only team I feel really good about slotting out, you know, like into a spot. Um, I, Oregon ha- brings most of their talent back, um, and you know they're going to get a quality transfer because they always do. Um, they they should be a talented team next year in the conference. I, I have them third in the list that we were talking about here. Um, they have a lot of talent at all positions, and they're not really they're, they're they're one of the few in the top five that aren't losing a really talented guy um, somewhere along the way. I mean, you look at California, who should be pretty good again next year. They are they're losing Justin Cops and so, Richard Solomon. Yeah, and Richard Solomon. So can you? 
Jabari Bird is extremely talented. Didn't do much for them this year down the stretch. Can he step up and replace Justin Copps? Because if he can, if he can pr- replace that production, they're going to be really good next year. I honestly had to but, go and Google to see what happened. I thought I hadn't heard his name in so long. I actually thought he was injured. Yeah, no. I mean, he just didn't do anything. And same thing with um, oh, I'm spacing on the other guy, Jordan Matthews, who had a, a solid first half of the season for them too. Didn't really do much down the stretch. My concern with Cal is. Without Richard Solomon, they have David Kravish and a bunch of nobodies on their front court. And a new coach. Um, yeah, and a new coach. So that out, out of the seven that I said I feel good about being expected to go to the tournament, I, I think they're probably the, le- the least likely. Um, I Actually, despite Stanford losing Dwight Powell and um, Josh Eustace, I, I really like them to be solid again next year. I mean, I like Jason Randall is going to be one of the best players in the, co- in the conference coming back. Um, and Stefan Nastic has kind of really just blown up over the second half of the season to become a really quality guy for them as well. And then Anthony Brown is a really solid wing player for them as well. And they have a, a pretty decent freshman class coming in. So they should be um, pretty good again next year. And then Colorado, yeah, I mean, it just with Spencer back, it's hard to see us not being in the top three in the conference. Without him, we're depending a lot on Dom, and I think we're kind of – stuck in that fifth, sixth seed that we seem to be always fighting for in the last week of the year, every single year. Yeah, the, the top five teams you have on your paper, they're Arizona, UCLA, Oregon, Colorado, and Utah. Not mm-hmm. in the same order I have them, but those are the five teams that yeah. I had as my top five uh, looking ahead. But again, it's way too early for this. We just spent maybe too much time talking about something that might change here in, in a couple of weeks when mm-hmm. we find out which guys are coming back and which guys aren't. Well, we went over today, guys. Thanks for uh, listening to the whole show, and we'll be back. Uh, our next show, we'll, we'll be talking mostly uh, football again as we recap the CU spring football game. Thanks for tuning in.